Good morning, beloved Orangewood. How's everyone this morning? It is always wonderful to worship our great God together. Can you believe it? Advent is here. Uh, we are going to celebrate the birth of God's Son, our Savior. I hope and pray for each and every one of us that this season is special. For some of you, you've had a ton of Advents. As a matter of fact, this is my 16th as your lead pastor. But I hope and pray if you're a visitor or, or new to Orangewood or new to Christianity or you have done this for a long time, that the reality and the depth of God's love for you, that God would give you everything he could by sending his son. I pray that that love would set you free. I, I pray that love would make you whole. I pray that that love would cause you to love back because it's the greatest story ever told. If you have your Bibles, if you'll turn with me to Matthew chapter one, we're gonna begin this Advent season. It's a entire season is under the title of Christmas in reverse. So we're gonna begin with the end in mind and the reality of, of the story. And it doesn't make sense until we understand the fullness of that story. In 1988, a man named Stephen Covey wrote a book, a self-help business book that, that I enjoyed and many others uh, called Seven Habits of Highly Effective People. How many people here have read the Seven Habits? Uh, man, how come you all aren't more effective if y'all read that? What's going on here? But uh, Seven Habits of Highly Effective People is a great book, some wonderful things. And it's interesting, the second habit of that book was this. Begin with the end in mind. Wherever you are in life, as you think of even a life mission, begin with the end of my, in, in mind. Where are you going? Where do you hope to go? You begin with that end in mind. What is the goal of your endeavors? What are you, what are you trying to accomplish? So begin with the end in mind. That's a really a great challenge. Well, this Advent, that's what we're going to do. We're going to begin with the end in mind. We're going to do Christmas in reverse. We're going to begin with the ending and the ending of that reason for the season. Because listen, until we understand the ending, we don't understand fully the beginning. We celebrate at the beginning of Christ's birth and the word, the word of God tells us that that's not the beginning of his existence. He's eternal. This is the beginning of him putting on flesh to rescue us. But we got to remember the ending of the story. The end of the story is a Roman cross. And, and that's not even really the end, but the purpose of the story. The goal of the story is a cross that Jesus will hang on to pay a payment, a payment of sin that was due to a holy God. So we're going to begin with the end in mind. So we really know the reason for the season. Matter of fact, here's the reality. You don't even know the reason for Christianity unless you understand this. If you want to know what Christianity is about, you want to know the crux, interesting word, the cross of Christianity, you have to begin with the end in mind. And here it is. Jesus was born to die. Now, we know that everyone who was born will die. I was reminded of that painful reality just yesterday as my beloved mother entered into glory and passed away. So we know that all of us, and we know in this room, I mean, as soon as I say that, I know that there's emotions in you of the pain of losing loved ones. The reality in all of our lives is death is a reality that we deal with because sin has entered the world. That is true. But for Jesus, it's different. He was born specifically to die. Here's the reality. His purpose for living 
was for dying. And his purpose for, for dying was for your salvation and mine. It was for our rescue. The purpose of his dying was so that we could live. And for us to understand the story, we got to begin with the end in mind. Even from the very beginning, we're going to look at Matthew 1. And in Matthew 1, it's actually an angel appearing not to Mary in this gospel account. That's in Luke. In this gospel account, an angel appears to Joseph and tells Joseph, a noble man, that there is an incredible thing that happened. Mary, the one that he was engaged to, that she's pregnant. And Joseph knows, well, he was a virtuous man. He, he didn't have reason to do that. It wasn't because of Joseph. And the angel would tell him this incredible mystery and reality that this is God's doing. The Holy Spirit has, has done this. And don't, don't dismiss her. Embrace her. And then the angel will say to Joseph, the one who will have the authority typically to, to name a child, that, that authority that God has given to parents like us to, to name our children, just, just that act alone shows the reality of our relationship to them, that we are the authority over them. But Joseph and Mary did not have that authority. You don't name God's child. God does it himself. And he says in a way, and in the way that this cadence is, it's a very a kind of Old Testament Hebrew way of saying it, is you shall call his name Jesus, Yahshua, Savior. Why? Because in the name, you're going to see the reality of what he's supposed to do. Because he will save his people from their sins. Even in his name is wrapped his mission's purpose. He came to save us. And to save us, he had to die for us. This morning, we're going to look at three things. Unpack it in this Christmas story, even from that one verse. The reason for the season is rescue. And the motivation of the season is love. And the results of the season is life. So let's look to God's word. If you have your Bibles, we'll be in Matthew 1. It's listed also in your bulletin. If you don't, the words will be behind me on the screen. Let's be mindful that these are God's very words. I'm going to read a few more that I think are recorded for you in the bulletin. But we'll start in verse 21. And remember the scene here. The scene here is with an angel speaking to Joseph, telling him this great news of Jesus's birth. And he says these words, starting in verse 21. She, Mary, will bear a son and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophets. Now quoting Isaiah, behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's pray together. Oh, Father God, thank you for the incredible depth of love that you would have for us. That you would send, you would send your only begotten son. And God, out of that love, we are so grateful that his name is Jesus because he was sent to rescue. To rescue the lost and the wandering, the broken, and the needy. To rescue, well, it's, that's who we are. I love that name Isaiah would say about him, that name Emmanuel, a God with us. And that is who you are, a God with us in the Advent season as we celebrate that reality of God in flesh and a God with us right here in spirit where two or more are gathered. There you are in our midst. Here we are as your bride. Here we are as your people. 
So God, in a unique and a special way, come again and be Emmanuel, God with us. Be Emmanuel so powerfully that you speak through a sinner like me. Be Emmanuel in a way that, God, you're with us and you give us ears to hear your voice. You give us minds to understand your story, this Advent story, your word. You give us hearts that would embrace your truth and and your love. And that, God, you give us feet to walk in a manner worthy of your name. God, the things that I say that are wrong or merely my opinion, may those things fall away and be forgotten quickly. But the things that are said that are true and contain this incredibly good news that Christ has come to rescue us. Would you use those things to make us more like your son, our Savior Jesus? And it's in his holy and matchless name that we pray. Amen. If you want to follow along with me in your bulletin, you will find an uh, outline this morning. The first thing, again, we're going to look at is the reason for the season. It's it's rescue. How about you? What about what's your favorite Christmas decorations? What's the favorite thing that you love pulling out? What's the favorite thing you love displaying? What's that one thing that gets you in the Christmas spirit more than anything else? And for me, it's crushes. Uh, It's it's the manger scene. It's a crush. It's that the reality that somehow depicts uh, the, the, that scene in Bethlehem. One of my favorite uh, manger scenes is the one I grew up with in our family. I got it. I don't know how I got it. I guess because I'm the youngest and I'm the favorite. And that just kind of <laughs> happens, I think. But I have other crushes. Some of the ones that mean so much to me are the ones I got in Bethlehem. I bought a, I bought a manger scene in Bethlehem with olive wood. And again, it just olive wood, but there's something special it feels about. They're right there. I, I bought one in Jerusalem. I've, I've bought them in Mexico in different trips to see the reality that the story is not just our story. It's a worldwide story. I, I love manger scenes. As a matter of fact, I've gotten to the point where my, my favorite uh, exterior illumination uh, is that white manger scene. Have you seen it? It's kind of beautiful and simple about this big. I actually went to Lowe's yesterday and was going to go buy one thinking, Man, I love manger scenes. And I realize that Lowe's doesn't carry those. Anybody know where those are? Email me. Let me know who, who, who carries those things. Well, there's something about manger scenes, crushes that we all can relate to. Because who doesn't love baby Jesus, right? I mean, who doesn't love cuddly, beautiful, God incarnate baby Jesus? How can you not love baby Jesus? Matter of fact, some people love baby Jesus so much that all they want to do is think about baby Jesus. Anybody know where I'm going to go with this next illustration? How about that movie, that wonderful movie? I see that hand. You know where I'm going, Dave. For those of you who watch movies like this, Talladega Nights, the story that Will Harrell played uh, 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 Ricky Bobby, uh, a famous race car driver who's made millions, and they're, they're gathered for a family meal, and Ricky Bobby's going to ask God's blessing on the meal. And he's like, dear baby Jesus. And he keeps talking about baby Jesus and his golden diapers. And he talks about the eight pound, six ounce baby Jesus. And kind of got to the point where his wife says, come on. He grew up, you know, he had a beard. Ricky Bobby says, but I like picturing baby Jesus. And then there became a discussion in the middle of, of a pretty bad prayer for grace about what kind of Jesus do you like to picture? It kind of revealed a lot. Well, I like to picture Jesus. And you know, those of you who watched it, you know the scene, you know where I'm going. 
Everybody seemingly loves baby Jesus. But in that manger was more than a baby. In that manger was a warrior. In that manger was God's warrior. In that manger was God in flesh. And he had a mission. He had a mission. And his mission was rescue, salvation, to save us. He came. Listen, he came to save us. And to do that, he would have to die for us. The reason for the season is rescue. And what this tells us, you got to lean into this. What this tells us is if he had to come to rescue us, yes, we are that lost. He would have to die. We are that far gone from God that he had to come. The rescue would include him laying down his life. You see, the Jews knew that, that the Messiah was coming. The scripture had pointed that, that God had promised one to come and rescue them. And even as we sing, O come, O come, Emmanuel, we could hear their voices. I mean, they were saying, O come, O come, Emmanuel, and ransom, uh, and rescue, ransom Israel, set us free. But what they were picturing was this, set us free from these Romans, I mean, these Romans are in power and, and you promised the kingdom of God would come and these, these Romans are oppressing us. Come and defeat your enemies. And you know what they were thinking? Come and defeat those bad people that are, that are keeping us down. But we don't, listen, you don't get Christianity. You don't understand the Christmas story until you realize we are the enemies of God. We are the ones that Jesus had to conquer. He had to come and conquer us. He had to come and conquer us to, to make us a part of his family. Because scripture is very clear. By, by nature, we are all, it says, children of wrath. By nature, when you're just born, we're, we're born sinners. It's been passed on to us. Uh, the brokenness we, we, we get just naturally. The guilt we've inherited. And it says in scripture, by nature, we're children of wrath. By nature, we're at enmity with God. As a matter of fact, scripture will say that apart from Christ, we are dead in our trespasses and sins, that we are hopeless. Listen, here's the reality. We are the darkness that the light of the world has to come and shine into. We are the ones that he has to rescue. We are the ones at the cost of his life. It's not, oh, come, oh, come, Emmanuel, and save the bad world out there. It's like, oh, come, oh, come, Emmanuel, and shine light into the dark world in here. You see, Jesus came as Savior to conquer you, to conquer you and me. He came to be King of kings and Lord of lords. And I love the reality of Scripture in Philippians chapter 2, that at that name, Jesus, every knee is going to bow. Every tongue is going to confess to that reality everyone's going to know the reality of who that baby is in the manger. That's God's son. That's the king. That's the Lord. That's the one who came to rescue us. And we would kneel before him as our king. He came to give his life for our life, but he came for us to surrender our life to him. I'm going to ask you to be honest with yourself for a minute. I want you to ask you this question. Do you realize you have no hope apart from Jesus' rescue? Do you realize that apart from him, you, you have no hope? I mean, according to scripture, I mean, uh, our sins deserve death. 
a separation, hell. We, we don't have any hope. It's not that we're going like to wake up and be good enough one day or moral enough or, or clean ourselves enough that we have hope that God is going to like us. Do you realize that reality? Because until you do, you don't understand the goodness. Be honest, we have no hope apart from Christ's rescue. You remember back in uh, 2010, as actually happened in August, August 5th of 2010, we heard, we started hearing, we probably didn't hear it right away, the story of the Chilean miners. Remember the miners that were, that were trapped underground and, and what happened and they were, uh, a bunch of them. And it took until uh, October 3rd that they were finally rescued and they used some like NASA device to, to go down and to go get them. As a matter of fact, what a compelling story of rescue. It was so compelling. I actually used it as a sermon illustration to just let you know on a Christmas Eve because you can't beat that, right? But oftentimes when we hear stories like that, it's always a story about somebody else. It's an incredible story of rescue about somebody else. But is it a story of rescue of us? You see, the reality is, is God sent his son to save us from our sins and to rescue us. It's our story. It's not just the world's story. Is it personal? And the cost of our, our rescue was enormous. The cost of the rescue was enormous. But let's back up and say the reality of Jesus, the reality of God putting on flesh, every single nanosecond of Jesus's life was a sacrifice. Do you know that? I mean, every second, from the moment he cries in, the, in that, that little manger, that little scene in Bethlehem, that God suffered, that God cried, the moment they laid him in the prickly straw, God is uncomfortable. God was willing to suffer. He was willing to have that reality every single moment of his life. There wasn't a moment when he didn't suffer. But all that suffering led to the culmination of suffering and sacrifice. Where he would say, this is how much I love you. And he'd stretch out his arms and he would be nailed to that Roman cross. He'd be pierced for our transgressions because of our iniquities were placed on him. That God's wrath would be poured out on him. I mean, the suffering that he endured for the rescuing that he would ensure. He paid that ultimate sacrifice we got to realize that Jesus's life-changing teaching, and it is life-changing teaching, is not enough to save us. It's not enough that you read the Bible. It's not enough that you read it up and down and around and every year. Jesus's teaching is not enough that will save you. And the, and the amazing thing is Jesus's perfect life is the spotless lamb of God. That perfect life is not enough to save you either. Jesus being born in a manger isn't enough to save us. We need all those things, but we need a Roman cross. We need a sacrifice for sin. We need an empty tomb. And that's the price that he was paid for us. We are only rescued, my brothers and sisters, we are only rescued through his death on the cross and resurrection. There's no other way for rescue. The reason for the season, to begin with the end in mind, look to the manger and see the cross. We sing about this and hark the herald angels sing, born that man no more may die, born to raise the sons of earth, born to give us second birth. All this wonderful things being born, but he had to die for that to be a reality. Mark 10, 45 will say this, for even the son of man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom 
for many. We need to begin with the end in mind this Christmas. Jesus was born to die for you and for me. And that's the only way he could save us. Secondly, it's the the motivation. The motivation of the season is love. You know the passage, John 3, 16, for God so loved the world that he would send his only son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have everlasting life. And then Paul will even give more clarity to that beautiful verse. And he'll say this, and God demonstrates his own love for us. Now watch this. While we are still sinners, let's hear it. While we are still sinners, Christ died for us. It's basically saying, I love you so much as your enemies of God, I'm going to send you a savior. When you're enemies, while you're still in your sin, Christ will die. The consequences of our sin, the wages of sin is death, but he will die for us. God, listen, God knew the cost of our rescue. God knew the price of our rescue and he was willing to pay it. Yesterday, I had a very small little window of time. I was trying to... uh, quickly get some Christmas things done. We, we, we went to, uh, where do you go when you got to buy a tree quickly and cheaply? Yep. We went to Lowe's, you know, went to Lowe's, you try to wade through them and, you know, you don't even know what you're getting. They're all wrapped up tight. Right. I told the guy, don't even unwrap it. You know, it's probably be easier just to get it in and get out of the house without it. So this year we're not going to have a wrap. I'm just kidding. That was not even very funny, was it? But the poor guy, Trey, who was, who was there, he says, man, the last lady, I had to unwrap 30 trees for her and he, he ne- she never even bought one. I said, Trey, I'm going to ask you to wor- open 31. And I'm not sure. So at the end, he was a great guy. At the end, you know, I was kidding him. I was just kidding. I said, well, Trey, what are you going to do about this price here? It's a fine price. He goes, let me see what I can do for you. And he came and he gave me another tag. And it was cheaper, and now I'm feeling guilt. So I, I took $20 out. I shoved it in his pocket and said, thank you, Trey. God bless you. And I got to run, so I'm going to go and, and pay for my tree. And I got, you know, it was a busy day. It was right before my mom passed. So I'm, I'm in line, and there's two people in front of me with all kinds of issues. I don't know what's wrong with their card. I don't know what they're talking about, but I just know that they're talking way too much. I'm in line with one tag. I'm like holding, I got one tag here. And there's a guy in front of me and he was buying a, uh, a, a, a fire pit. How long does fire pits last here in Florida, right? You want to have one. It's, you know, on a cool night, you want to have one. They're about two years, you know, it's a two-year investment. And the guy gets up there and he's, he's about ready to check in. And I'm like, oh man, come on, man, bro. And he says, hey, how much is this, by the way? Because it doesn't have a price tag on it. Oh, here we go. Let me check for you, bloop. And he tells him the, the price and he's sitting there in line counting the cost, right? Should I get this? Is this worth this amount of money? Should I buy this? I'm like, dude, buy it, man. It's great. Buy. That's fantastic. Don't miss this thing. Oh, come on. Okay, I guess I'll take it. For you to have a relationship with God, it cost God the Father, God the Son. And he didn't stand in line thinking, ah, gosh, are they worth it? Is it really going to be worth it to, to send my son? Is it really going to be worth it of a Roman cross? Let that love move you. 
Let the reality that God so loved, and it was out of love that he gave everything to you. You see, the beauty and the glory of God's love for sinners like us is almost, it is incomprehensible. But even what we can taste, it's just like amazing grace. We've been studying the book of Galatians and Galatians 2.20 says it this way. And you got to hang on to this verse. It's an incredible verse, but especially I want to emphasize what's at the end. It says, I've been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the son of God. Now watch this, the son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. The motivation has always been love. Because of love, the father sent the son. Because of love, Jesus went to the cross and died for me. Because of love, the Holy Spirit comes and lives inside of me. This incredible motivation of love, the triune love of God, the motivation that he has everything done for us. And then there's the results of the season and it's life. It's not just rescue, but it's, it's more than that. It's rescue to give us life and, and life and life abundantly. And that, what that means is Jesus came to set us free to pay the debt so that, that we don't have to live with guilt. We don't have to live with shame. Our identity is not going to be our sin. It's going to be Christ's blood and righteousness. He came to, to set captives free. You know, you really don't live. You don't live until you know that God loves you. God made you. In his image. You don't live until you know God loves you. And watch this, watch this. And God loves you just as you are. While you're still sinners, Christ died. While you are in your sin, God loves us just the way we are. He doesn't keep us just the way we are in Christ Jesus. And you really can't love yourself until you know that God loves you just as you are. One of the greatest gifts that Jakes have, I think, are, are self-loathers. I think we're world-class self-loathers. It just comes naturally, I think. And somehow we think that our standard should be above God's standard. Somehow for, for love and for grace and acceptance, it needs to be somehow higher than God's. Let me ask it about you. Is that you the same? I mean, what is your image of yourself in Christ Jesus? Is it higher than God's? Do you have a higher standard for, for yourself than God does? Because God loves messes and broken people like you where they are. And you should too. And you know, you really can't love your neighbor as yourself until you love yourself. If you, if you don't experience this love from God that transforms you to, to allow you to embrace who you are, you'll only be, listen, you'll only be loving your neighbor for yourself. It'll be about you. It'll be about your moralism. It'll be about you feeling better about yourself, loving others. The only way you love them freely is because you've been loved freely and you've been set free. And now you can realize I am a beloved child of the King. I know I'm broken. I know I'm a mess. I know I'm undone. I know I'm not there yet, but this is who I am in God's eyes. And I could love you. And even if you give nothing back, only that way. You see, we really can't live without knowing God's love. Covey's Seven Habits of Highly Effective People. It really was a good book. I think I even went to the seminar. I know what some of you are thinking. Well, what happened? <laughs> Too many laughters there. But listen, here's the reality. Scripture teaches and Christmas proves 
that there are no highly successful people apart from Christ. There was only one successful person in history. And his name is Jesus. There was only one who was successful to accomplish what God sent him to do, to rescue sinners. And for him to be successful, spotless Lamb of God, live a holy, righteous life. For him to be successful, atoning death on a cross. For him to be successful, conquer death and have that tomb empty. There was only one highly successful person. And his name was Jesus. And it's in Christ Jesus that he is our success. It's in Christ Jesus that his life is our life. His death is our death. His resurrection, our hope. His victory, our victory. This is a table that we're going to come to. A tangible sign for the reason of the season. The rescue. A tangible reminder what the cost of the mission was. Jesus' own life. A tangible reminder that God loves you right where you are. And we begin with the end in mind. And the end in mind was a cross. But as we come to this table, we begin again with the end in mind. That this table does two things. It looks back to a sacrifice made for those he loved. And it looks forward to a meal that he will partake with, with those he loves face to face. And until that time, when we stand in between the two, he says, I want you to do this. And I want you to remember that I came for you to rescue you at the cost of my life. And there was no hesitation. Let us pray. Father God, thank you for the depth of love that you would have for sinners like us. It is incomprehensible. None of us deserve it. For there are none who are righteous, no, not one. There are none who seek after you, no, not one. But God, you are a God of love. God is love. And you demonstrate that love as vividly, as clearly as you could, that you would send your son into the world to rescue us. But God, not only did you send him that we celebrate in this Advent season, you sent him on a mission to die so that we could live. Oh, Father God, thank you. Oh, Jesus, thank you. Oh, Holy Spirit, thank you. Would you prepare our hearts to meet you and be reminded at the table of that depth of love? Would you use these tithes and offerings to advance your kingdom? We acknowledge we have nothing in our hands to bring. Simply to thy cross we cling. But the reality is, is because you've given us life and you've given us everything that we have, we joyfully give back to you what is rightly yours. So may the world may know the depth of your love. Thank you, Jesus. Amen.